French people feel uh, weak and not protected. So uh, the, the anger is uh, is growing. If we carry on this way, we'll have a, a civil war. Den unge mand, han er revolutionær. The arc of the whole universe is Welcome everybody to the Manifesto podcast. Today is the 15th of November 2023. We're really glad to have two distinguished guests to talk about the crisis we're seeing, I think, all over Western Europe right now, uh, as it relates to the war in uh, Gaza and also the tensions between Muslim immigrant population in Europe and the uh, Western liberal world. We have uh, Fanny uh, Forsberg-Lundell, with us, who has written extensively about the difference and the similarities between both the Swedish and the, and the French experience of, of dealing with immigrants. And we have also Florence Bergerot-Beckler, who is an anthropologist who has studied both the French context of this, the Muslim Brotherhood, and has been a debater and, and an opinionated person on this. So we're really glad to have you. Thank you. and Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We will try to, I mean, the overarching, if you want to be, approach this positively, then the question is somehow, how do you build multi-ethnic or multi-religious societies in the Western world? We thought it relevant to try to dig down into how can we understand this, both in the recent historical memory, but also how our respective countries sort of understood or dealt with multi-ethnic societies or multi-religious I think we just have to kick this off with saying something. We're having this conversation in English, which feels denigrating to to our guests, but but it is the curse of the Western world that we're having this conversation in English. But I think it just for that reason, the French perspective for me has always been very interesting because mm-hmm. the corollaries to Sweden have been there all the time. There are two very different cultures, two very different systems, obviously. But I've always, for I've at least 10 years, seen uh, the similarities of this. Mm. And, and and this is, I think, uh, why me and Johan thought it so poignant to 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 have a discussion of the uh, France and Swedish context here. Mm. Both in Sweden and English-speaking countries, I think France is, for, for linguistic reasons, but also for us being very dominated by the UK and, and American media, I think mm. the context uh, of what's happening in France and the development the last 10 years always come to us in flashes. Mm. It's it's Charlie Hebdo, it's Samuel Paty, it's the teacher who got killed, I think, uh, Dominique... Dominique Bernard. Bernard, thank you. Mm. I think it comes to us in flashes, but I don't think we see the context. of. Mm. So I'd like us to begin somewhere with describing what is happening in France. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much much for your invitation. Yes, we are special uh, in a special context at the moment with the uh, attack of uh, Israel by uh, the Hamas, which is a Muslim Brotherhood organization coming from the jihadist arms. And so the Israel-Palestine conflict, I think, has made uh, very clear that uh, Muslims are mobilizing in the name of the Ummah, the Islamic nation, all around the world. So we we realize clearly now that we do not have just territorial conflict between Israel and Palestine, but something like a manifestation of the strength of the global Muslim nation 
its determination to protect the holy places. So that makes this uh, uh, this uh, event, dramatic event, a bit more different than the previous conflict we, we used to observe during the last uh, 40, 50 and even 70 years since uh, 1948. We see enormous amount of people uh, Muslim, but also non-Muslim, su- supporting not just Palestinians, but sometimes Hamas uh, as a resistant movement. So this makes a bit different. And, and from here, we can go to the question of Muslim Brotherhood. So at first, we can say that in Muslim families who are in France and in Europe for maybe three, four, five generations, there is culture of support for Palestine and the Palestinians. Several generations of people from the Maghreb, from Turkey, from Pakistan, living in Europe, have been made aware of the plight of the Palestinians since 1948. But uh, more often than uh, not, Israel has been presented as a devil, as a Zionist Western power backed by American capitalist imperialism. So the, the hatred of Israel has been reinforced by a detestation of the Jews, which, uh, which is present in a religious text. The Muslim Brotherhood has always said that they wanted to cultivate this hatred. In my book, I note a word of uh, Youssef Al-Kardawi, who is a thinker of the Muslim Brotherhood, who said that the hatred of the Jews must be cultivated. Mm. So, yeah, so so this is the context, the present context. So to come to your uh, questions about the the, the relation between uh, cult, uh, religion and, uh, and state, France is obviously a secular country, like in like others in Europe. But when the secularism, the separation of church and state, is written in the constitution, so the separation laws are centralized at national level, and it's very strictly applied. The state do not found any religious activity. Sometimes uh, the state can found a little church, but for architectural reasons, uh, as a tradition, mm-hmm. but not as a support for the, the culture. So there is no religious instruction in public schools. There is a strict ban on the hijab at schools and, and other measures. Recently, the, the fight against uh, radicalism and Islamism has taken the form of uh, what we called a law on separatism. Mm. This law on separatism uh, was published in 2021 and prohibits all associative activities uh, that contrary to the values of the Republic. So this is a good step. But unfortunately, uh, these measures are not very effective against Mm. the legalist Islamism. What is a legalist Islamism is the the form of Islamism who are not uh, physically violent, Mm. but who are uh, psychologically violent. Mm. So the Muslim brothers act always as much as they can within the law. This is why we called it uh, Islamism legalist. 
And also uh, because uh, when uh, they are, it's this law on separatism is not very effective because when we forbid an association, they can move their headquarters across the Belgian border and carry on their activity like before. So this is uh, this is the problem we have in the the progress we make uh, uh, in France against the, the Islamism is that the fact that the Fr- France is isolated and other countries around, like Belgium, which is French-speaking country as well, does not play the the the, the, the same game. So the, the people who are forbidden in France go to uh, Belgium. It's one hour and 30 or 40 minutes from Paris. Mm. This, this limitate, of course, the, the, the measure taken in France. Yeah, I was thinking in your book, Florence, you write about the allies of uh, the Brotherhood, the allies of Islamism. And I think that we may find the same, same problems in France and Sweden here. Because one mm. of the reasons that I discovered your book was actually that we had a similar book, so to speak, a thesis coming out just a few months before your book by Sam Egyptson, who you're aware of this work. And it seems like, as you say, I mean, even if we have laws or even if you have a very strong secularism in France, you have still not succeeded in in fighting and, I mean, combating uh, the Brotherhood. Uh, and it, I mean, c- could you say something about these allies? Because I think that's very important mm-hmm. for our audience also to understand. And, um, I mean, how, how, do, how do we identify these and how do we then fight these? Yes, um, yes uh, uh, indeed, uh, Sameh Gibson has... Uh, uh, um, has published a thesis recently on Muslim Brotherhood in uh, in Sweden and in Europe, uh, focusing really on the institutions. My book is a bit different. It's, it's focus uh, a bit of institution, but rather in the in the ideology and the doctrines of the movement, m- yeah. much more than the institutions, because it's it's extremely difficult to study them because they are completely secret. So. Sameh Egyptson uh, spend uh, an enormous amount of time and analysis in, in his studies to, to demonstrate the, the reality, the existence of mm. these uh, secret networks. And right. so it's uh, extremely valuable uh, work for, 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 for us. I focus more on the ideology, on his uh, roots, the fact that the what I call the brotherism or the frerism is the, the result of two branches. One branch coming from the Muslim Brotherhood from Egypt and one other branch which, which is coming from the Indo-Pakistanis area uh, through uh, UK and, uh, and the Anglo-Saxon world, which is the, the, the branch of uh, Maududi and the Jamaat Islami. So these two branches for me are meet around in the 1970s and uh, and uh, give birth to the what i call uh, the the brotherism so the brotherism will not will not be as effective as we can see if it was it, it didn't have the help of allies exactly because the brotherism use the strengths of its enemies against themselves it use the the liberty the freedom 
against the uh, liberty and the freedom of our liberal societies because it doesn't believe to the democratic system and to the uh, human uh, rights. It doesn't believe it, but it, it uses it against uh, itself. Right. Do, do you think that that could be why, for instance, Sweden has been a very easy target for uh, for the Muslim Brotherhood? It, it was one of the targets, but mm. uh, I would say that all um, all European countries in Western society who, who welcome the, the students and the refugees from Muslim Brotherhood all around uh, the world since the from the 1960s they were very welcoming and uh, so they installed their institutions all around western europe uh, not just uh, sweden but it's true that sweden was particularly welcoming to the to the foreigners so uh, obviously uh, they they stay where they they, they feel well and, and they are uh, free to meet free to express so the battle, there has been a battle in the 1960s when the first Muslim refugees, brother, Muslim Brotherhood refugees and students arrived in the campuses. So some some decided to go back to their country to help to uh, build a Muslim uh, caliphate in a Muslim country. And some others uh, decided to stay in Europe because they were free of expression, free of uh, they, they, they were um, in in very good conditions to not just help uh, the Muslim country to become really Islamic, but to uh, to help the Islam spreading all over the world for accomplishing the, the 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 prophecy of the caliphate so they decided to stay uh, in europe and so sweden wa- was a very strong point for muslim brotherhood but also uh, the uk also in france and also in in switzerland they were very uh, uh, very influenced influenced uh, to the wide network they they installed in uh, in europe they also decided to, because it was not obvious at, at first, because they, they wanted to make sure that their strategy was licit in terms of Islamic uh, rules. So uh, to make alliance with uh, non-Muslim was discussed. And so they decided to, yes, to accept temporary alliance with some of uh, its their enemies uh, who are not Muslim. Mm. It, if the point was to fight a greater opponent. So you can be allied temporarily with the left. And indeed, the left has been qualified as a useful uh, idiot. Yeah, yeah. It's true that they play uh, a very uh, toxic role in the spreading of this ideology. Yes, and it is true that both France and Sweden, I mean, Keller started talking about that Sweden and France are so different in many ways, right? And they are. But something they do have in common is that they have a strong leftism past. And -hmm. I think that this may be a factor which can explain why we have both been uh, quite exposed to this phenomenon. And we have dealt with, I think, I mean, we have different relationships to our Muslim minorities, of course, because of colonial heritage in France and not in Sweden. But I think we have dealt it dealt with it in quite similar way. And I think the welfare state, which is very sort of uh, um, elaborated in both countries, may play a role here as well. What, what's striking when me and Carl discussed this before is the 
the different relationships to minorities with regards to language in particular, perhaps, that in France you have the secularist laissez-faire and hence some assumed assimilation further down the road, whereas in Sweden it's multiculturalism, different languages yeah. uh, are not just allowed or encouraged, and then further down the road you hope for some sort of what's called, or has been called up until now, integration. Yeah. Could you speak on, on that point? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you listen to a Swedish societal debate and when politicians talking about integration, they will always say that language is key. Everybody needs to learn language quickly. We need to put more resources into language learning. And I mean, I, I do still believe after many years of research on language and integration that language is important. But what's interesting is what I can see from, from my research. I mean, so so you said, Johan, that we have had different policies with respect to, to language and also immigrant integration. France has this assimilation policy with very strong measures. When immigrants are coming, there's this contract of Republican integration. You need to reach certain levels first to become a permanent citizen, then to become a citizen of France. We do not. We're in Sweden, we're one of the few countries who do not have that. In the 70s, we decided that Sweden should become a multicultural society. This is not something that has been uh, decided in France. France has sort of stuck to the to the assimilationist path. So in terms of language learning, I would say that, yes, people who come to France, they probably they have more pressure on learning language. And they also have more immigrants coming to France who already have some knowledge of French because of the whole colonial uh, past. And this is the complete, we, ha we have a completely opposite situation in, in Sweden. We don't have people who come here who know Swedish and we don't put any pressure on them. So it's like, yeah, they, they are completely opposed. This is one of the reasons that I've been interested in, in working on this topic of comparison. Okay, so having investigated the question, this issue of language and policies, you still see that, okay, so integration is not working so well in France either. It doesn't seem like it's the perfectly har harmonious country. I mean, and, and th this is where you start to ask yourself questions about other issues that come into play. And I think that one of the things that, I mean, that's why I also became interested in Florence's work on uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, of course, because it seems like, okay, so there are other things going on. You you understand, uh, Fanny, the fact that uh, there is a, a lot of similarity between uh, the strategy of the Muslim Brothers mm. in Sweden and in France. Mm. And obviously, as uh, Sami Egyptian showed, they are very closely uh, linked and regularly uh, linked by meeting, by instructions, by plans. So when they have an experience in one country, they try to, and it's it worked, and it uh, they try to uh, install this, uh, to transfer this uh, uh, experience to other countries. That's why we uh, can see very similar strategies uh, all over the countries. So we say that uh, the the French Republic is very well is very oriented to assimilation. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's not really true. That's the um, official discourse. Yeah, yeah that's say. a narrative. Yeah, I understand. The, 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 the main narrative. But but actually, since the 1990s, things have changed 
we have been very much influenced by the uh, Anglo-Saxon model of integration and not just assimilation in the name of the multicultural society, uh, the, the right to uh, to be oneself and all, all things like this. And also because the left wing uh, change of uh, strategy yeah. uh, has progressively lost the, the popular low class who, who has uh, started to vote to a right wing, yeah. extreme right wing. Yes. So they decided to swap the their um, basis of ele- electoral basis and, and try to seduce the minorities. Uh, foreigners, women, Muslims. So there were the, the new targets of the left. Obviously, it it helps to communitarize the society, and the assimilation was seen by the left wing as a old model, old fashioned uh, ringard, and uh, from the past. So the republic is now div- divided between yeah. those who want the assimilation, the right wing and the, the one who promotes the multicultural society which is more the the, the left uh, the left wing so but but it it, it still remains a republican left wing but it's very weak yeah. moment this is something that i think is so interesting in france that you have this division in the left so you really have this republican left and then you have more like of the more the uh, melanchon left right uh, what do you say the unbowed the unbowed france the la france insoumise and they they are more influenced by the multiculturalism ideas and uh, melanchon even said i think it was the la- for the last elections right he said that he he used the word creolization that this was a fact mm. this is not a political project it's a fact yeah but so but would you say that today the republican left is quite weak and that republicanism is flourishing more on the right wing side yeah i would say it it has weakened a lot until to uh, almost disappear and it's gaining at the moment a bit more strength because LFI, La France Insoumise from uh, of uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon is uh, is is seen and especially uh, since the attack of the Hamas uh, as um, yeah. anti-Israeli and uh, anti-Semite party and and it is it is they they, they show their the right face is uh, their support to islamism and their anti-semitism so i think Things are going to change. Up to now, they have uh, played um, 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 the, the the game of the structural Islamophobia, right? Which was a way to uh, to gain uh, elector elector, and oh, it works! It works because uh, La France Insoumise gained sixty percent. I mean, sixty yeah. percent of the Muslims as who, who, who have voted. Voted wow. for the La France Insoumise, which is uh, enough, which makes a Muslim vote. Yeah, but you and Kalle, this is basically the same situation we have in Sweden, right? Yeah, but but that part is uh, that was my my question. Like, uh, funny because why would the Swedish welfare state push so hard for the multicultural project? Have you seen any like reasons as to what's the rationale behind it? Because if I understand your research, what your findings is you cannot find support for the taxpayer money spent on multiculturalism leading to integration in and of itself. That's not... Yeah, as you know, I've been looking at how how well 
people learn the language. Uh, if you see that as some kind of indicator or yes. litmus test of integration. And yes, there it seems like the multicultural policy that we have adopted is not working very well at all. But this is, of course, also linked to what kind of immigration we've had. We've had immigration, mm. especially over the last 10 years from people coming from uh, from countries with extremely different languages from Sweden and with low uh, educational background. Mm. So, I mean, not any policy in the world, I think, could have really helped uh, so much integration with these people. But but why, why would the left push for this? I think you would maybe be even more well-placed to answer that question. Why, why, why did the left formulate this vision of a multicultural society in the 70s? Mm. Uh, in Sweden, I think it's, 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 it's fairly clear because uh, Swedish, Swedish identity has been built since, especially since the 1970s, of this country of our, our, who has been very engaged with the third world and, and, and uh, you you have this um, phrase now sounds ridiculous, but the, you know the moral superpower, which is mm. built upon I think the legacy of of, of Olaf Palme, especially freedom struggle, so called uh, uh, independence movements in the third world. Uh, you have the South Africa and Palestine. I think are the two clear examples of of, of pride within the socialist circles in Sweden. It goes back to I think uh, many many speeches Olaf Palme made uh, that you know. Uh, uh, in, in the days where where uh, in 70s are the the first decades of, of major refugee immigration into Sweden uh, and it was uh, i think especially political in that we had left wing mainly left wing uh, sympathizers from countries like Iran Chile yeah. and and all over the world coming to Sweden specifically uh, specifically because we were a social democratic and 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 yeah. left wing country mm. uh, and hence it tied very nicely into the foreign policy but also internal uh, policy objectives of Sweden or social democracy wanting to build a country that was modern that was progressive mm. and this was very much seen as you know these people were basically socialists and 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 they were when they passed the border into Sweden they were as 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 social democratic as 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 the next person and then this idea i think ran amok because uh, of of uh, laziness from the politicians, but also I think it has to be said opportunism from some people that that they really thought that this was a new electorate. But and 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 uh, not only you know uh, the problems would, would be outweighed by the fact that that uh, Sweden could do anything. So it was a, a utopian vision of 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 Sweden both as. An external actor, but also in sort of internal terms. Mm. But I think also, like to continue on on the the rhetorical figure that you use, Kalle, that this, as soon as you cross into Sweden, you mm. you you become a Swede or a social democratic Swede. The same can be said also of Swedes going to Palestine. That the moment you get into Palestine, you become a member of Fatah, the National Social Democratic Party of Palestine, which is a sibling party of the Social mm. Democratic Party in Sweden. Uh, well, I, w- I wouldn't describe it as a social democratic party. I mean, it might be a, a member of the 
international or something, but that, I mean, uh, describing Fatah as a social democratic Palestinian party, I think is is a bit. But okay, I, I get your point. I get. Your I, point. I'm simply I'm simply quoting their own uh, how how they yeah, phrase yeah. the yeah. dynasty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm I'm. This is uh, I I I I trust the social democrats. I I I listen to what they say. But the point is, you could go into houses in in Gaza and find photographs of Olof Palme, yeah. a, a very evocative figure in Swedish politics and herald of, of this progressive turn in social democracy in Sweden. So it's it's built not just into the geopolitics, but the, like the, the, the self-image, the metaphysics of what social democracy and the left has been in Sweden for a very long time. But the turn, to come back to your question, yeah. funny, like the turn in with regards specifically to migration in the 1970s is, is when they make those decisions is very much in a realization that Sweden has not, it played a real political game during the Second World War. And then this sort of bad consciousness slash a need to pivot to the left, whereby you basically disconnect migration targets and integration targets or assimilation targets. Mm-hmm. So you you then increase the volume of migration, but you d- decrease the intensity by which measures are done for, to integrate people, which of course, I mean, we, we shouldn't just make this political question. It also corresponds to the industrial uh, crisis of the 1970s, where you actually lose the structural support for blue collar jobs, whereby you basically, I mean, if you want to put it bluntly, you put all migrants into like a centrifugal machine of yeah. heavy industry where people are like, you know, forced to go to job, to work, be in the union and then join the football team on, on uh, the weekend. And while that is in its own way authoritarian, it did create Swedes. It did integrate. I mean, I, yeah. this is a bit similar in France. I think also that, I mean, there were a lot of uh, workforce, professional immigration over those, I mean, early years. And then the, the, the industries shut down. And what happens, we both have created like, okay, so ghettos where these people spend their time on welfare. Basically, I mean, I, I'm I'm putting it a bit uh, bluntly, but I think this is what's happened both in France and Sweden. And in a way, I think funny. It's it's good that you mm. used the phrase ghetto here in the sense of mm. in Sweden you had the social democratic ABC uh, town towns which yeah. grew up as as um, suburbs outside of the the centers of larger cities. ABC standing here at Florence for work, uh, living, and uh, center or mm-hmm. commerce. Is that correct, Kalle? I believe so, yes. And But basically, these places like Rinkeby, Tiensta, turn into Laconeubs is, is kind of like development you've seen. But but I wanted to raise the question, because Fanny, you brought up Same Egyptson, who we had on this podcast before. And Same, I keep being like impressed by, by him as a person in the sense that he has been researching this topic for decades. And <clears throat> the reason for Same coming to Sweden, in a way, is because he saw the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. He saw what they were trying to do to his country there. He had already been fighting them as a leftist or as a Trotskyite Marxist. And also him taking the name Egyptson is like... (laughs) Yeah, son of Egypt. Yeah, son of Egypt. Mm -hmm. But so basically, that also shows in a way, coming back to like bad consciousness or what you raised, France, about... Islamophobia being flung around as a way to to to, to taste and dose off your opponents to do what you want to do, and and racism uh, accusations from seventies in Sweden onwards has has served that purpose as well. But then comes a person like Sami Yipson, who's a migrant Marxist who hates mm. Islam, and it kind of has taken a person like that to be able to even do that research. 
in, in without being uh, like um what was it called um social assassination uh, in in media i mean they they did try with some it's on but mm. his research stands up to the test and he uh, also has support but you cannot really divest his work from also the ability that he comes from a different background is is my my sense of this mm. so then yeah. coming back <laughs> yeah. what's wrong with you funny and you folks <laughs> <laughs> why have you researched this topic <laughs> yeah, I, I was listening uh, about the this question of language which is uh, much more important for you than for France because people mu- muslims coming from uh, uh, North Africa, where they used to speak French. So we have uh, easily, uh, we could have easily assimilated those populations because they were speaking French for most of them. Muslim brothers make make this uh, assimilation uh, difficult, even uh, sometimes impossible, because they decided by their plans, and uh, which plans I I detail in my book, to uh, prevent the the children to uh, assimilate. uh, So they can assimilate the language, of course, and learn Mm -hmm. Arabic, or even if they are not um, Arabic, there are also Berbers and other language in North Africa. Uh, but they have to uh, uh, learn the local language and the Arabic uh, because they want to uh, train an elite for uh, changing the, the, the world. So what they are interested in is to the, to uh, to, um, to to train them to make them as ambassador of uh, Islam, but uh, without assimilating the the laicity, the the, the secularism. Uh, one of the things linked to the language is that uh, people like Sam Egyptson in France are numerous because. Um, um, they, they 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 came from Algeria in 1990s when there was the, this war, and and they say, okay, what what happened to us will happen to you. Be careful. So we have been uh, we we knew uh, that something uh, will happen with the Muslim and the, the brothers and the, uh, and the Islamists, but we didn't uh, believe them because we thought, well, we are a secular country with complete different traditions and. Uh, we are rich. Yeah. We will come over that easily, yeah. and so, uh, so we didn't listen to them. And so now they say, "Well, look, uh, it's happening to you seriously." And um, with the Bataclan, with the Charlie, with the assassination of the professors, mm-hmm. of course, now the the the, the French population realize. Uh, that uh, this is not going to stop now. It's it's a very long process. Mm. But they don't know what to do. They are very aware of the danger, much more than the elite. Elite. Uh, I mean, I think the um, the people who are um, uh, in, in the parties responsible for the parties and the, the political uh, um, uh, um, men and, and, and women are, are not as aware of the population. And so they have their electoral markets and they don't they don't care about what uh, uh, people say. But but the problem is that people don't trust uh, politics anymore on, on this matter. And it's growing anger. Really, it, 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 it's not hate, it's anger, which is different. Uh, they are not Islamophobic. They are hateful of, uh, they are uh, in anger with this situation where they don't feel protected. 
and this is going to I think to um, set up the sort of uh, milice with uh, with guns and uh, people who want to defend themselves. Mm. We we have seen that in Corsica, for example, there is no problem of uh, aggression and um, from uh, Muslims in Corsica because uh, the Corsican decide, decided to to uh, to apply the law themselves uh, in a sense. They are putting pressure on Muslims, and so the cohabitation is fine. But because uh, in France, the the police doesn't uh, intervene because the political parties really play a a funny role, and especially La France Insoumise, French people feel uh, weak and not protected. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the the anger is is growing. If we carry on this way, we'll have a a civil war. I think that one important point you make in your book, sorry, Kelly. (laughs) I think that one one important point you make in your book is that for a long time, people tended to think that, uh, that, that Muslim minorities were attracted or drawn to, to Islamism because they were not well integrated. That sort of, it was society's fault that society had, had, um, failed in integrating these people and then they turn to islamism but you say that it's the reverse that they mm-hmm. actually i mean that it that it is islamism that hinder these people from integrating because they're not they do not want to integrate in this sinful society mm-hmm. um and i mean that must be that must have been such a, such yeah such an intellectual mistakes i think it's the same thing in sweden uh, that one has thought that this is because society has failed to integrate these people, that this sort of, uh, yeah, this other power is uh, mm-hmm. controlling them. Yeah, we are, the, the answer of these people who want to conquer the, the world mm-hmm. and say it, mm-hmm. uh, it's not, it's no mystery. Uh, our answer is inclusivity. So mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. when you want to conquer an inclusive uh, part, then you win. Uh, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florence, I have two questions. I think uh, the Corsica example is very interesting mm. because uh, uh, would you say, I mean, I, I, I see the corollary between, I mean, Corsica has been uh, for a long time uh, a, a hotbed of separatist resentment mm-hmm. uh, from mm. from uh, the from France proper. I mean, uh, you have had terrorists, uh, separatist terrorism in Corsica. There is a national identity in Corsica that basically it's unheard of in any region maybe Brittany would be the only other example in France you you had comment so but, I would be interested in in is there a between them taking the law in their own hands and this sort of separatist uh uh sentiment is there a connection there do you think um maybe they have a sense of uh, uh strong uh, belonging mm. identity. Mm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with values, um, mm-hmm. so obviously it uh, it helps, uh, but they also have the feeling that um, uh, if they don't show their strengths, uh, and it's it's an island, uh, then mm-hmm. uh, people will come uh, numerous and uh, they they will be in danger. So it's right. a fundamental uh, a reaction. Um, so it um, and also it's true that. Um, uh when we have uh, strong groups uh who use violence and intimidation and 
they understand the strengths. They understand not. They do not understand words and nice words. They don't care about our, our nice words and to be gentle and to be welcoming. They don't care. They don't respect the, this. This they, they respect the strengths. And Corsican understood that. Hmm. But coming back also, I think this is a really interesting point because I mean. France, when you say that an endpoint here could be a civil war, um, it's it's interesting then to view a similarity, as I read it, in France's and subsequently Swedish, because Sweden's very much look to France for its institutional uh, mm. building in in the like the unitary state that you mm-hmm. uh, very consistently break down regionalism, both culturally and in a political sense, in a in a quite brutal manner. During the 1800s, I, I think it's uh, Carl at some point uh, quoted the uh, De Gaulle for having said, "How how you suspect to govern a country that has 500 cheeses?" Yeah, <laughs> and and I mean the, the reality behind that is in a way that you try then to create ex nihilio this this republican citizen um, that what you lose is some of your history and heritage, but what you gain is a unitary future, but. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you agree with that with that, that assessment. Um, well, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think it's much more regional by, but by not by political means, but uh, mm. for example, for food, for uh, mm. traditions. Uh, of course, they are not governing the the area, the, re- the region, but they are very important for for French in the daily life. Yeah. So it's a mix between a very political centralized state and uh, and the cultural manner of uh, life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the anthropologist speaking, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I completely agree. I would say that you have the politics, but then you have the everyday lives yes. I mean, of people who live in their regions and who would probably see themselves as Breton or, you know, coming from, from different regions. But... But politically, it's very centralized. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and believe me, that nobody would be happier than me to talk about like regional political identities. And one of my favorite songs is the Breton nationalistic song, "Ashas Don Jaledo Awi." I'm not sure if I got that one right. <laughs> No, this isn't the Breton separatist podcast, you must have taken the wrong turn. Wouldn't it be nice if like a Republican Corsican came back, you know, just to fix things? Well, talking about talking about Bonapartism, this is this is, I mean, one of the interesting, I wouldn't call it the paradoxes, but I mean, in, in modern political history, it's very interesting to see a person like Eric Zemmour, yes. who is himself mm. uh, 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 of of North African Jewish heritage, uh, mm. and, and being you know a leader of a, I, I, I mean I I use the media language here, but but far right political party, uh, and I think this I mean 
very much puts into context the sort of political situation that France is in. No, absolutely. Uh, and, and I mean, as a per, I mean, the first time I went to to Israel, this is a, just a personal anecdote. But first time I went to Israel, I went to, I ended up on a beach in Tel Aviv, and I turned to the guy next to me, and I asked him, "Where are you from?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm I am from Paris, but I moved to to yeah, like many of his you know fellow uh, Jews moved to Tel Aviv. So I mean, coming back to the 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 sort mm. of you know, circular conflict we have here of 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 uh, Israel Palestine question manifesting itself back into Europe. I mean, we have uh, Muslims coming to 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 Western European countries and basically uh, causing anti-Semitism and pushing Jews back into Israel, which sort of reinforces this whole cycle. And I just find that so very tragic, but yeah. also frustrating in in a discussion when we're always having about you know Islamophobia and everything. It, it's and especially the last couple of weeks. It's been, I mean, the 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 difference between uh, you know what's been said uh, and 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 the sort of you know un- required it will never happen again language that you have from from all the liberal and leftist groups has really come into contrast with what's happening on the streets of Paris and and Malmo and Stockholm. I I don't know what is the situation in Sweden for, uh, regarding the the feeling of the Jewish in France. They are extremely worried. It's it's the same here, I think. Maybe not as yeah. strong as in France, but a similar situation, especially in Malmö, a city in the south, where there's a, 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 a I wouldn't say a Muslim majority, but where there's a very uh, yeah almost where there's a very a big population of uh, of uh, Muslim immigrants. The more they are worried, the more uh, Muslim leaders cries that there is Islamophobia. It's really interesting. Uh, for example, the anti-Semitic acts are 13 times more uh, high than the act uh, anti-Muslim act for a population which is 20 times less numerous. So it's 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 incomparable, and um, the, the the there is a lot of uh, report and uh, uh, around uh, Islamophobia. And this is low, the lowest rate in France. It's a, it's a five times less than the the, the fact uh, anti-Christian fact, and seventeen times less than the the fact uh, the, the the anti-Semitic fact. This is really the strategy of uh, of Muslim Brotherhood, not only to uh, make people silent about Islamism. It's also a way to re-educate them. Uh, because mm. when when uh, you when they write a report, they they, they generally uh, increase the numbers of uh, uh, Islamic uh, fact anti um, anti Islam fact. They also have a part where they give solution, and the solutions is always to say, okay, so we have to reeducate the media to talk about Islam the right way. Uh, we have to reeducate the the politic uh, the politics. We have to re-educate the, the, the schools. You see, this is the way brotherhood work on the context and make them what I call Sharia compatible. Mm. Yeah, I love mm. that word. <laughs> I think, or maybe I don't like the content. Can, 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 of you, it, can you can you can you can you unpack that? It comes from the way I define uh, the, the brotherism. I define it as a transnational movement that wants to conquer the world mm. uh, by 
making the world Sharia compatible in the in the first moment. It's what they call the Dar el Ad. So it's in middle between the Dar el Hard, I mean the, the territory of war, uh, and the territory of uh, Islam. And in between, they know that they will have to to work on the context of the the, the new territories. Uh, and it's what they call the Dar el Ad, the territory of contract. So w- what they want is to uh, to influence the, the the Muslims and and then the non-Muslim through the culture, through the economy, uh, with the halal uh, globalized market, and to uh, not address uh, to to frontally uh, to uh, the the politics. They don't want to go through the politics because they will have a lot of problems and they are not numerous enough. So they go through the culture, the economy, the social, and the school, and the infiltration and the entrism, which is their, their modus operandi. So their doctrine is the wasatiya, which is called the Islam of the Middle Way, which was uh, theorized and, uh, and applied to Europe by Youssef al-Kardawi. The idea is to use, to, to gather all movement of Islam from the, the jihadist to the more liberals and make them uh, going to, towards the same way, to the same goal. So it, 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 it is really, it's, it's a theocratic movement, mm. not a theologian movement. Mm. So they put in action all these, uh, these movements. But but can you see then Wasadia as a sort of alignment with leftist tactics of long march through institutions? It's very I, I was going to say it's very Gramsci-esque. The whole the uh, it's very the um, the, mm. yeah. In, in what sense? Well, I, just by you know uh, turning from just the fact of 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 uh, of Marxism shifting from a purely revolutionary force uh, to seize power. Uh, until a cultural force that that ceases not only institutions but uh, that that has a, a cultural and 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 wants to gain the hegemony hegemony of of yeah. of cultural thought and, and and intellectual life. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so practically, it means that uh, whenever there is uh, an activity which which is linked more or less uh, tightly to uh, to Islam. You always see Muslim brothers coming and try mm. to to arrange it mm. in their sense. Yeah. So it's the way they proceed. So th- this is why they need a very um, the very uh, a close circle of Muslim brothers who are assermented. I don't know how do you say prêter serment, Fanny. Ça se dit. So you 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 swear mm. to the sermon. Yes. A sermon. And so uh, this is a very close and extremely secret uh, circle. And then you have uh, affiliate uh, structure, which are working for the brotherism, uh, for the brotherhood, but which is not a secret. Uh, it's an interface. And it's this uh, second circle is much, much more wide. And it can cover all the, the, the France, for example, all the country with, uh, with associations, uh, cultural, sports, uh, economy, uh, all the domain you can imagine. Entries also in the enterprise, in the ministry, high, uh, high functionnaire, uh, mm. high civil servants. So they, 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 they go through, infiltration to change the context yeah 
And also academia, right? I mean, I'm thinking about, you mentioned March of Institutions, Carl. And I mean, in academia, you write quite a lot about that in your book. And I think that would also be interesting to hear a bit more about, because that is, yeah, that's obviously a danger. So, so they, they, they really reflect on, on this strategy of approaching the campuses and, and changing, especially the social sciences, to make them more adapted to their will. So they call that the Islamization of knowledge. Mm. Uh, it's not a formula I, ta- uh, I have built, it's their formula. Uh, mm. Islamization of knowledge was developed by uh, in the 1990s in the US and in the UK in particular, because it's more the, the, the Indo-Pakistanis branch uh, which has uh, developed this. The idea is to... Uh, to build a knowledge which is compatible, which 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 go into the frame of Islam. So the idea is not to destroy what it, what exists, but to take all the uh, Western science and to read it uh, through the lens of the the Muslim and uh, and adapt it to to Islam. So the department, the faculty of social science, have been uh, targeted very soon. Uh, also, the Department of Arabic Language, of course, mm. all the departments which look at the policy uh, in the uh, Middle East uh, has been infiltrated uh, since the 1990s, 80s, sorry, uh, by the Muslim Brotherhood to change, to help to change the policy of European towards this country and to influence the, the so- social sciences. This has been helped by postmodernism and mm. the, the relativism of po- postmodernism because uh, the, the relativism in anthropology, for example, tells you that uh, your work, your work is good if it, it is very close to the um, discourse of the indigenous. Mm. So the more yeah. you are like a scribe of the people you interview, the more you have the truth. So, uh, it's like you, if you t- try to analyze the discourse of people you study, you will analyze it in a Western way. So it's wrong. You, mm. you just have to take what people say and say nothing about it because this is the truth. So it's obviously a complete rupture be- with uh, the epistemology of social science. It has helped. Yes. This uh, this methodology has helped to uh, to put forward the Islamist and fundamentalist discourse, which is uh, very uh, which is self sufficient itself. There is no need to analyze fundamentalist discourse because it it does it itself. So there was um, I don't know if it's if it's clear what I say. Yeah, no, yes. no, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, there was a positive prime to the student and to the researcher who was who were able to bring back the discourse as it is, without any analysis on it. I was just going to comment that then we could uh, gather that some, at least some social scientists, have also acted as useful idiots. Yeah, oh, completely. I would just like to comment that this goes to the very root of my, my mine and Johan's friendship, because we met when Johan was the opponent of a, of a thesis of mine that was actually talking about Foucault going to Iran back in 79 and writing for Corriere de la Serra and ended up basically shunning Marxism and telling the students of, of Tehran University, you shouldn't be Marxist, you should listen to the Ayatollah Khamenei. Khamenei because he was, quote, the most authentic voice of, mm. of the Iranian revolution. 
Mm. So, I mean, it goes back to, to a long time. And now we're seeing this sort of process just coming home from 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 that moment of Foucault going to Tehran and saying, you know, listen to the Ayatollahs. And now we have our all, quote unquote, Ayatollahs uh, in, in Europe to listen to. So, I mean, the question I think that everyone listening to this will, will come away with is basically, is there any way to stop this? I mean, because the institutions have failed. I think most of us can see that 40, 50 years of immigration, of, of integration uh, has has failed in a lot of very uh, serious cases. I mean, anti-Semitism is one of, of, of the things, but I think especially for Swedish people who, who now have, I think... Uh, Twice the immigrant population of, of France, twenty uh, percent of the country in Sweden are are uh, in in some ways uh, second or first generation immigrants. Ironically, no, they I would... are foreign born. Twenty percent are foreign born. If you look at the people who have like foreign descent, then you are yeah. up to almost a third. So yeah. like third. So that's a lot. But then you include me as well. So I mean, <laughs> uh, which is sort of ridiculous. But 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 yes, point taken. And I, I think for for many Swedish people, I think this is a realization that has yet to come and, and is sort of dawning on us. And and I think many people don't want to look at this future in a sense because they only see darkness. Quite literally, the difference I think Sweden also is we don't have the sort of institutions that France has the strength of, for instance, a capacity to to govern the country in the sense of of policing and the sense of law enforcement. France has much more uh, strength in this case. And I think, uh, I mean, even though we saw, we have seen uh, cases in, I think, Lyon, where people were shooting with Kalashnikovs in the in in, in the street. But mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, in S- Sweden is is I mean, demographically much much worse situation. And I think it it sort of begs the question: How is is any sort of liberalism gonna survive the next fifty years if if this sort of trajectory continues? Yeah, I, I think that uh, we we need to to focus on on two ways: the enforcement of the law in in each country, because sometimes the law is just not enforced, and also the the break what breaks what prevents the knowledge on this uh, on this uh, on these networks of uh, brotherism. So obviously, the university is playing this uh, opacity uh, work. On on what is these networks, and the fact is that the 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 politics I met the head of parties they are not aware of what's happening. Mm. Uh, the the counter terrorism they are aware, but uh, apparently and it's and it's true in France, but also true in in other country. Uh, the, the the knowledge doesn't go up doesn't go to the politics. So something is not working. We, we, we have the capacity of understanding what happens and, and looking at these people, even if they are within the law, which is, which makes it more difficult, of course, to, uh, um, to follow because they are in the law. So, the, so, uh, we, we do not have the, the legal instrument to follow them because they have done nothing uh, wrong. But if we uh, uh, are more aware of the, their modus operandi, the, the way they act, we will be able to uh, vote laws uh, that uh, make us able to follow them, to uh, forbid them if they if we think they are toxic for the nation. So 
but that means knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. It means that uh, we need to much more uh, studies. And so we need to throw out people who in the university who prevent uh, these uh, studies, who, who threat, like me, I am threat, I cannot go to the mm. university anymore. So, so these people should be thrown away and, and quickly, uh, and we should be able to, to work on, on this uh, topic. The European Union, we didn't talk about it, but play a very important role on the funding of, uh, this, uh, of this network, these, these brothers' networks, through the, uh, the funding of associations against racism, against mm. Islamophobia. And so it's millions and millions and millions going. What, what would be the, sorry, Florence, what would be the main actors funded through the European Union, would you say? Well, we have a, in the Commission we have a, a different schemes of finance uh, for integration of Europe uh, against uh, for immigration. Uh, um, so all, all these uh, finance or, or research also, there are speci- specific uh, schemes of uh, fi- of funding, and it's, it's hundreds of millions uh, euro going. Don't. Uh, to found associations and uh, research groups and other things and and Erasmus also also and when you look at the quality of research it's appalling i mean it's i mean i, I don't know i mean i'm i'm working on this at the moment uh, and uh, there is no filter we we, we pay we fund but uh, yeah. uh, rubbish studies and i suppose that this money doesn't go to researcher or, or go to to real action but against um, the resolution of the problems i mean if we can disband the erasmus program program i'm all for this they're like the lump and proletariat of academia <laughs> so. so talking about these schemes this makes me think about the schemes that we had for the swedish research council i think it was 2016 2017 when there was like a lot of money going into exactly like research on racism research on discrimination and not research on let's say more open topics such as you know migration or but it was like really directed towards racism and i think that there were quite a lot of studies dealing with islamophobia then so we mean this is on a what you're saying is very interesting to hear about at an EU level, and there's so much more money involved at an EU level, but we have been been uh, doing exactly the same thing here in Sweden, I think, with the Swedish Research Council. So this is something too. Yeah, and also this ideology is spread after in all Europe, because what happened is that they, they are funded by European Union, and then they go to uh, Paris and say, okay, you see, we have money from European Union. Yeah. Can you give more money? So Paris say, oh, of, of course, because you are labeled European Union, so it's good. So we give you a lot of more money. So they end up with an enormous amount of money. And because they have this this experience in Paris, then they will go uh, uh, in London and 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 uh, transfer this experience. It's the way the 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 the, the Muslim Brotherhood is very effective. It's when they win some somewhere, they try to do the same somewhere else. Mm. I, I want to pick back here in a way, coming back to Carl's question of like what can be done with regards to all of this. Um, and your comment, Florence, that it's not just that they get the money <clears throat> from the European Union, but they get the legitimacy, the the whole like the the project with European Union, the 
that you use the strength, as it were, of a liberal society against itself. But I think in a way, I mean, some of this comes off to me as, if I'm going to like provoke both you, Fanny and Franz here, as, as a bit idealistic with regards to a liberal order, that n- now we've seen all these problems, uh, we, will, we need to return to classic liberalism, which in the one way, it's, it makes sense. That's where we come from. We know what republicanism has, in a way, achieved. And then when you face this new enemy, then surely reinstating the order could be a way of, of dealing with this. But another one is the likelihood that a reform of academia, as we've discussed now, is, is going to happen. You, France, have, have paid a huge personal cost for the research you've done. It, I think it's fair to say, funny, that you are among the few researchers in Sweden who bro- broached this topic for, for similar reasons, that there is there's a personal backlash and potentially also a professional one. So the, the interests for the brotherism, as it were, are, are quite entrenched in Sweden and France. Coming back then to my provocation here, it seems in a way that the technological development of the West has been towards more networks, more connectivity. But ironically, it has not bred cosmopolitanism, but cults. Like the, the brotherhood and brotherism is possible in an age such as this, when you have a very centralized state that can feed off and connectivity whereby it, it can work around Europe. If they, if they can't operate in France, they go to Belgium and vice versa. I'm thinking of this more in terms of dialectics, that isn't it more likely then that you have new figures such as Zemmour, or in Sweden you have the Sweden Democrats, um, who basically take the arguments of, well, you want to have representatives for populations uh, or ethnic groups or minorities or uh, uh, claims to indigeneity. And then you turn them around to basically say, we are the indigenous group. We are the representatives for these people, for this religious creed. That is, you, 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 you take on the language of your enemies to, in a way, combat them. And the way that the liberal order understands these, um, these political, uh, then national or religious actors is also as populists, as far right, that, that themselves are the threat to uh, to the liberal order, order more so than these minorities because they think of them as minority. And I think this is why the Gaza conflict has brought these questions to a fore. I'm coming to a closer because I want to hear your thoughts on this. But like the claim from the left and from uh, Muslim minorities is that Israel is a settler nation and hence illegitimate. But then the retort to that would be that no, it's global political Islamists who, who are a settler nation, who are acting as settlers within Western societies, and therefore they too will need to be combated with similar means. Do, do, do you see my point? Like, there's there's one one recourse here where you do not end up in a liberal society, but with more enclaves, uh, basically us looking like our enemies. Do you see my point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very well summarized. Yeah, but we, I think we we have to think ourselves as a at war state. So obviously we cannot uh, go as a liberal country in times of peace when we are at war. Mm. So we, we have to understand that uh, this situation. So with the um, the, the protest and um, um, the riots in France right, yeah. in July, and then with the 
anti-Semitic uh, attack in France. The, the Jewish population in France is the, the largest in Europe, for, for 500,000, I think. So the, 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 the sentiment, the feeling of being at war is, is coming softly, uh, but it's, it's coming. So it will be in favor or of uh, less liberal uh, action, more protective. But it's the only way we have to protect our model, our society with its values. We have to accept, in a sense, uh, uh, um, maybe a higher, highest level of uh, uh, security, which means more constraints. But in the name of uh, of of being oneself and stay oneself. I, th- I think that's a good analogy because I, I don't think how Westerners now living appreciate, for instance, where we had uh, two world wars and, and, and even the most liberal of countries had to enact legislation mm. to basically curtail so- the rights of people living in them to, to fight a war. And, and, and it's the only, it's sad, but I, I think it's the only metaphor that sort of rings true. People are now so uh, entitled to all of the comforts of not having to think of being in some sort of conflict. Everyone thinks that, you know, I'm atomized, I'm a liberal, individualistic person, I live in this society, but I can live anywhere. And and I think just that sort of uh, sentiment has to be combated because the sort of nation state is is the only thing that we have to, to sort of rule ourselves with. And it's and if we can't have that, and if we can't sort of pre- preserve the the legal system and and the sort of safety of of of, uh, of the population and 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 sort of combat what are its enemies, I don't think like I don't think if these people were outspokenly fascist instead of Islamist that this would be a problem. But uh, here I think this is the conversation that needs to be had that this is uh, basically the same threat. It's not the same threat, but it's of a similar type. Fascism was in the 30s in Europe. Mm. Yeah, I, I would like to read you um, a nice uh, sentence uh, from a, a philosopher, a French philosopher called Julien Freund. He, he was talking to pacifists and say, as long as we don't want enemies, we won't have any reason. But actually, it's the enemy who appoints you. And if he wants you be, if he wants you to be his enemy, you can make the most beautiful protestations of friendship. As long as he wants you to be his enemy, you are. Yes. And it, it is why Gandhiism doesn't work against, I mean, a fascist dictator or, 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 I mean, there's, there's a corollary to that. People don't know. I think it's one of the best things to, get oneself in the mindset because Gandhi wrote a letter to to the Jews of Germany in the 30s telling them to to you know not fight against depression but instead accept it and follow in his example and many people have sort of read Gandhi as this very important figure which he is but mm-hmm. he is that in the context of having to deal with a very liberal system in the United Kingdom that was repressive, yes, against its colonies, but it was not Nazi Germany. And this is the major difference yes. between ideologies. Mm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I would just like to to say one thing that I heard 
at a conference the other day where there was a scholar who said that, you know, the most problematic religion right now in France is, and then I, I, I thought that she was going to say something else, but then she said republicanism. Republicanism has become uh, a religion and it's really like tearing the country apart. Uh, and when I heard that and I knew that we were going to talk to you, Florence, I was just wondering, what, 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 how would you comment on that? Yeah, I, w- uh, yeah, I would see at, at first, I would say, why? I mean, why? And uh, at second thought, yeah, if it's uh, just um, an idea, if a republic is an idea, then it's our enemy. Uh, it has to be an act. Uh, something which uh, guide uh, our uh, society, w- w- which is uh, protecting uh, our values. Uh, so if it's uh, if this is a republic, then it's our best friend. But if it's just an idea uh, that you that we throw out the uh, the, the face of people, uh, that doesn't mean anything. So it, it cannot just be an idea or religion. I think mm. she also meant that it was sort of. It was, it was being too strongly atheist. Well, I do not I... agree with this. The, the 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 philosophy of the law of 1905, the laicite law, mm. is to protect the society from the from religion, of course, but it's also uh, to protect the the plurality of religion. Yeah. So it's this. Uh, it's it's a liberal. Uh, um, aspect. So I wouldn't say that uh, the Republic is atheist. Uh, I would not think that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. another taking that comment, funny of like republicanism as as religion. Perhaps one. This is also in a way an anthropological comment question, Florence. But whether or not we are now facing concerted efforts from religious groups or or movements, whereby in the West. Mm. there is then a need to realize that we too are religious and whether or not republicanism can be that religion. So it's a loss of innocence then in a way Mm. that in order to defend yourself, you need to actually have an adherence or or recognize that you are religious and that what we are seeing in Gaza is an indicator that there are conflicting cultural or civilizational projects at play. Yeah, I I would like to comment on that because I I think the, the... This is one of the plagues, I think, of of, of uh, uh, Western civilization in, in in the last ten years. I mean, it's the case of universalism, and I, I think an interesting discussion is to be had whether you know universalism. This is a postmodern, basically a, a postcolonial comment about about the nature of universalism that it is European universalism. You could debate that for a long time, but I think the question sort of comes back to us whether we want it or not, because we've for a long time sort of taken it for granted because the Western civilization has been underpinned by economic strength, by military strength, etc., etc. But in a world where that doesn't really ring true to the same degree as it did 50 years ago, 100 years ago anymore, it's we have to be faced with the question that is, are these values that we hold a universal? That's a discussion to be had Mm -hmm. but b are they better and can we really answer that question fundamentally within our hearts and be affirmative that they are because i think a lot of people 
and we've talked about this sort of relativism from the start of our conversation, but a lot of people in the West would say, well, no, it's just a set of values like anything else, and it doesn't really matter what you believe. This, I think, is the, the main enemy. I mean, either you think and believe that the system we're living in is the best one that's currently on this earth, or that there is a relativism of systems. Because the enemies we are facing, they have no doubt to which the system mm. is the best one. Yeah, that's a very good point as well. I completely agree. And I think that we're kind of realizing now in Western societies that yes, we do think that our way of living, our civilization uh, is something to cling on to, but it is a bit late, but let's hope it's mm. not too late. Jusqu'ici tout va bien. Jusqu'ici tout va bien. Jusqu'ici tout va bien.